Good morning. As always, I'm very thankful to be here. It's been a wonderful service thus far, and I want to thank Reagan and I want to thank the elders for the opportunity to be here um, to go over what I have been studying with you. The Bible provides us with so many wonderful stories, uh, wonderful stories that um, just hold a mirror up to our face. And sometimes the reflection staring back at us can either be very encouraging or it can be very discouraging as we see how we have failed and faltered in our walk with God. Now, I want you to think a moment in your head. If you were to label it, what do you think is the most widely known story in the Bible? Now, there's quite a few um, that probably popped up in the list in your head, and there are people that don't even believe in the Bible but still are familiar with certain stories that are told here in this book. Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, Moses and the burning bush, the Exodus, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, and the story where we are going to set up camp this morning, the book of Jonah. So go ahead and open up to Jonah. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. I didn't realize that we were starting a a section in our Bible classes on the minor prophets today, so you guys are getting a lot of minor prophet this morning. The story of Jonah is a challenging story. And I think this book of the Bible is not always given the full attention that it is due, and why is that? For many of us here, we may fall prey to something that I have heard called the veggie tale factor. In an effort to make this story more palatable for children, Veggie Tales has told the story of Jonah through the lips of a talking cucumber. And don't get me wrong, I think that making these stories more understandable in the mind of a child is admirable and necessary. But we have to be careful not to allow these watered-down versions of biblical stories that fixate on certain elements to carry into our adult brain and to carry forward in our spiritual life. Now, if you were to ask the VeggieTale Factor what the book of Jonah is about, what do you think it is? Story of a man and a fish. And that's true. But the fish is only mentioned in two sentences in this entire book. So to make the fish the focus is to miss what the story of Jonah is actually trying to say. The focus of this part of scripture is to reveal God and Jesus to us and to show us his character and purposes, but also to show us a clear image of what disobedience looks like from somebody from whom you would expect full obedience. Jonah is a representative character representing the covenant people of God, and by exposing the flaws of Jonah and holding him up for critique and shame, the storyteller is turning that mirror back on us, and we can see, oh, this story is actually about me. The story is aimed at exposing the worst tendencies that tend to form in all of us. Even this prophet that God has called, pride, hard-heartedness, and an inability to let God's grace change us. So we're going to start at the beginning. Open up to Jonah. We're going to read through the entire first chapter. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it, and to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on those on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard against them. Or excuse me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land that they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as it is pleasing to you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In verse one, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. As we studied this morning, when we hear those words, what automatically do we know what type of book we are reading? We're reading a book of the prophets, a book of prophecy. And if we turn one page over to the next book of the Bible, Micah, We read the same thing. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. But what follows here is in Micah's account is seven chapters of Micah's words speaking for the Lord's and Micah's vision. But what follows in the book of Jonah? Less words, more action. 
The book reads more like a historical account than an autobiography. Usually we learn from the prophet by his own words or we get to live inside his mind. But here we are getting to learn from a prophet by being a fly on the wall from the outside looking in. So this leaves the understanding that the book of Jonah is less about the prophecy and more about the prophets. And interestingly, the name Jonah is kind of slightly ironic. Um, Jonah means dove. But Jonah being the son of Amittai, Amittai means my truth or faithfulness. So here we're seeing that Jonah is being called the son of faithfulness. Ironically, starts that story as a very poor example of what it means to be faithful to God. Jonah's just full of bad decisions, isn't he? Here is a man who's given the role of prophet by God and still chooses to run from God. In addition, did you see how many times in that first chapter the author used the word down? Jonah went down to Joppa, went down into the ship, and he had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down. The author here is using a literary device to show us that there is a downward spiral happening here. That a prophet of God is actually running from God, and he keeps going down after he makes his decision to say no to God. The author just is painting a descriptive picture of Jonah, and it's not a very pretty one. The man is a prophet, and ironically, he is the bad guy in this story. Think about it. Even the pagan sailors didn't want to hurt Jonah, even though he caused this whole dangerous situation and had already told them to throw him into the sea. They kept rowing. They didn't want to be responsible for the death of this man. They were desperate to avoid the increasingly difficult decision that they inevitably have to make. So what does God say to Jonah in verse 2? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. What do we know about Nineveh? That Nineveh is the capital city of ancient Assyria. And what we do know about the Assyrians is that they were widely known for being brutal, oppressive, horribly violent. Just a very terrifying group of people. God saw their evil and he thought that's not going to continue. So he sends Jonah, the son of faithfulness. But what does Jonah do? Verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't have a map to put up on the screen, but some of you may have maps in your Bible. And if you want to open up to that, you can find that Joppa is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh is a fair amount kind of northeast in this direction, but where is Tarshish? West. Not just west. As far west as he can possibly go, Joppa, excuse me, um, 
Tarshish is actually one of the last ports that you hit before you hit the open ocean. So uh, Jonah ran as far as humanly possible. He didn't just flee. He ran as far as he could in the opposite direction. So that raises the question, why did he run? And I want you to put yourself in his shoes. Nineveh being widely known for their brutal violence when they plunder cities, he, being God's prophet, is being asked to run through the front gate and preach against them? That had to have been terrifying, I'm sure. And certainly we can assume that a fear for his own life had played a little bit um, of a role in that decision. But the story of Jonah that we read in this book tells us that wasn't the only factor. What happens in chapter 3? Let's jump over to chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time after he had been vomited up by the fish, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The world's shortest sermon. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removing his robe, covering himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. When Jonah finally came to his senses not to run from God, he preached his sermon, and the people of Nineveh believed God and repented. The king believed so deeply that he issued a declaration that man and beast should be covered with sackcloth and to call out to God. Even the cows repented. But in chapter 4, Jonah shows us the hardness of his heart, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah tells you exactly why he ran. He knew that God, or excuse me, he knew that somehow this was going to have a happy ending, and I don't think Jonah wanted a happy ending for the people of Nineveh. 
What's really going on is that Jonah knows what he wants to do, and he's not willing to give up what he is comfortable with and does not want to do what God has asked him to do. He knows perfectly well that God is a God of mercy. And he knows somehow the Assyrians would be shown mercy, and that's not acceptable in his eyes. So unacceptable that Jonah would rather die himself than see the salvation of a people that he deems unworthy. The book of Jonah begins with a profound exploration of what disobedience looks like in God's people. When we hear the word obey, it draws up certain negative connotations, doesn't it? Images of submission, following orders without question. But the biblical description of obeying God is much more endearing. Think about the command that Jonah is given to go preach to the city of Nineveh. But we all know very well that this story could have easily have gone a different direction, that instead of sending Jonah, God could have easily have come down over the city of Nineveh in a big dark cloud, lightning, devouring fire, just like he did in Exodus chapter 24 over Mount Sinai. He could have spoken down to the people of Nineveh, told them of his displeasure with them, and they, would, they could have repented from that. But God rarely does that. In almost all other stories through the Bible, God prefers to work through his people. So what's actually, actually happening here is that Jonah is being offered a chance to step into a role that is broader and bigger than anything he ever thought would take place in his life. But he allows his hard-heartedness and prejudice to derail that opportunity. So if you have it in your heart this morning that obedience to God is limiting or just shackles that hold you down, I encourage you to look at this story of Jonah and see that it's not just a story about Jonah. That this is a story of our Heavenly Father and His providential care. Oftentimes we have competing visions with God over what life is about. What makes our life the good life. See, Jonah didn't want to go preach to the foreigners, but he did accidentally because God has a way to make all things work together for good. Think about back in chapter 1, the sailors, the mariners that we read about. Jonah had put their lives in danger while he was running. He didn't care to preach uh, God to them, even though he had opportunity. When you're on a ship, back in those days, it wasn't a seven-day cruise. It took time. But rather, Jonah would prefer to go down into the ship and sleep. But still, the way the story pans out, they came to see the Lord and came to fear him. And oftentimes, we fail to see that in our trials, in our tribulations, in our pain, in our suffering, we have an opportunity to preach. Jonah's having a pretty bad day. Just been thrown into a tempestuous sea. You're just eaten by a fish. But what happens immediately after that? In verse 16, this tempestuous sea calms, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They believed in God. 
So next time you're having a bad day or weathering some kind of storm in your life, take heart. And I don't mean to say that that storm is not wearing you down. It, very, it may very well be. But stand firm and understand that if you hold to your faith and choose to run towards Jesus, others will see your steadfastness and your faithfulness and can be encouraged. And like Jonah, it's very easy to train ourselves um, and think that because I come to church and that this is a part of my life, we start to think, I'm doing pretty good. But hypocrisy rears its ugly head when sometimes some sin remains in our lives where we know that we are being called to change and we're not willing to give up that part of our life. Now, sometimes um, we can compartmentalize that off in the distance. We wear these horse blinders that keep us from really truly examining in our lives and making honest change. And we try to keep living the life that we believe is the comfortable life. When Jonah finds out what God expects of him and a core issue in his life is being challenged, his hard-heartedness, he chooses to run. And he runs to Tarshish. And the sad irony is that while Jonah thinks he's running for his life, he's actually running away from his life. I mean, look at what a chance he has to participate in something great. A movement of God's grace to people who need it. So what does all of this mean for us? We have many parents in the audience And at one point, or currently, your child was a toddler. And what do we know that toddlers love to do? Run. Children at that age are filled with so much energy and a blossoming desire of independence. They can find themselves in all sorts of situations. And I want to tell you a story from my childhood. When I was a child, for a short time, we lived in Australia. Because my dad had an opportunity to work with some brethren outside of Sydney Um, So my parents, with two little boys under the age of two, decided to move halfway across the world. And um, apparently, in Australia, door handles are much higher than they are here in the States. So my parents never had to worry about children, toddlers, being under the age of two. And they never had to worry about child safety locks because us crazy toddlers couldn't even reach the door to open it if we wanted to. But one Christmas... My parents went to go visit my mom's parents in California, Ma and Papo, who lived at the end of a cul-de-sac. And one day, while nobody was looking, my brother, I know you all thought I was going to be talking about me, but my brother had been able to reach up to the lower-handled front door and open that door. And by the time Papo realized what was happening, my brother was about four to five houses down the street running towards a busy intersection. And Papo, being a six foot four gentle giant, terrified out of his mind, managed to catch up to Josh and sprint down that street, catch him on his whimsical adventure, and to give him a little quick pat on the bottom and very loudly tell him what he thought about what Josh was doing. So they managed to come back to the house. My brother slowly walked into the kitchen where my mom was, and my mom had no idea any of this was going on at this point. And he walks in, and he gently touches her leg, and he looks up at her and goes, Papo, uh, me. 
In Josh's mind, he had a vision for how his life should go. And that includes running down the road towards a busy intersection. And in his mind, running towards speeding cars was the right decision. It was running, he was running towards something that he wanted. And Papo was just the person crashing his party. Now, as the guardian of a child, I'm confident that you have nothing but goodwill for your children. You want them to experience things that bring them joy. You want them to experience things that bring them happiness. But Papo knew better. If Josh had run across that street and a car came speeding by, that could have caused a horrible injury or worse. And a parent knows what is best for their child, even if it makes no sense to that child. Now, that same image is painted here in the story of Jonah. God wants Jonah to participate in this amazing event of showing his grace and mercy, coming to a people that we would expect would never accept it. But Jonah was so blinded by his prejudice for the Assyrians that he was going to do what he thought he could do to deny them of God's grace. But truly, kindness should have no restriction because God's grace is for all. So he thinks he's running for his life, but he's actually running from his life. And this same situation is a situation that we find ourselves in every single day when we make the decision whether or not we are going to follow Jesus Christ. And in a way, this whole story of obedience is summed up at the cross that Jesus showed on the cross that he is calling us back from running. That he suffered and died on the cross because we decided to run to our own Tarshish. We decided that we wanted to live how we wanted to live, to give in to the temptations of the world and to live in sin. And Jesus lived for us, but he also died for us to carry the weight of sin and the horrible, stupid decisions that we make when we choose to run from God. When we run according to what our vision is of what the good life is. And in his mercy and grace, he conquered death and was risen from the dead so that we can have life, the good life of living under the sheltering wings of Christ and living in the everlasting grace of God the Father. And in baptism, there is a death that takes place. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, so, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In baptism, I am letting go of the old me. The old me who made the silly decision to run after temptations of the world, who thought he knew what his life should look like. And in letting go, we are given a chance to step into a life that is richer, more fulfilling, and more wonderful than any of us could have ever imagined. Living a life with Jesus is the good life. And this week, I encourage us not to run away from that life, but to run towards the life of righteousness and faithfulness that Jesus calls us to. And when I choose to run to that life, it becomes impossible to not see the love that Jesus has for me and that Jesus wants to bring you back into his arms and into his kingdom. So I ask you this morning, what is your Tarshish? Where are you running? Are you holding on to sin that you have been unwilling to let go of for Jesus? Have you allowed your physical life and prejudices to take priority over your spiritual life? Have you found yourself to be hard-hearted towards others and unwilling to pursue God, but you're now willing to? to start that journey. We're here for you because we all have been there. I have been there. And true change from that old you starts with baptism, washing the old self away with the cleansing blood of Christ. Now we can do that for you today. If there is anyone here that realizes they have been running and they are tired of running, let's help you turn and run the other direction. We'll help you run towards Jesus, to run towards God and make that change in your life today. If that speaks to anyone here, we ask that you come forward now as we stand and as we sing. Christ, dear Lord, glorious Lord,